So yesterday and from time to time, I mentioned this word signs, signs, the Pali word nimitta, signs. Uh, and this is of some significance, considerable significance. Nibbana is the signless one, the, well, that's not the only one, but that signs, signless. So what, what is a sign? What's it mean, nimitta? And, um, you know, by and large, if you look at the world, you probably find a lot of it seems to refer to subtle phenomena, quasi-visual phenomena that can occur in meditation. A lot of lights and things like that. They indicate, you know, what stage of realization you're at, or with degree of samadhi you're at, or something like that. And this is a sort of a fairly well testified, but uh, it's not something the Buddha seemed to have talked about. Uh, I use that word in the suttas, in the original teachings. And it comes from somewhat later meditation tradition. So the original concept, I'll use the word, is just a mark. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, for example, we have nimitta stones in around the, this, this hall, which indicates this is the mark. This means this is the consecrated area. These nimit, these define it. He um, says, so, you know, the mark, the nimitta of a man or a woman, means it's a certain characteristic. Oh, that's a that's a man. That's a woman. You immediately get it. It's a sign, interpret mm. body shape or something. Uh, and um, and then it's also said greed is a limiter, hatred is a limiter, delusion is a limiter. <laughs> Things are marked in this way too. And it becomes a little more than just esoteric. Yeah. Why, why has nimit, greed and nimitta, but it's something strikes the eye and the eye sees something that brings up this experience of, oh, that's attractive, I want that. The thing doesn't say that. The object in itself doesn't say that. Just the sign acts as a signal, sign signal. Mm. Yeah. Or it's disgusting. You may find a colour, you know, horrible, glaring. Some of you might find it warm, vibrant. Same colour, mm, different signal being given. Mm. Yeah, and then that, so that uh, so then this has to be understood because this acts as the basis for a lot of volition. And what we're grabbing hold of is actually a mirage. So the mind produces the kind of waves a flag. It's, a, it's an empty thing in itself. It's void. It's not the thing. It's just a, it's just a, a trick, you could say, a trick of perception. Hmm. Or a conjuring of perception, and to broaden it, there can also be the signs of the, the positive signs. You see the 
you know, the Buddha, the teacher, the beloved, da, 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 and so forth, bring that to mind, a sense of inspiration occurs through that sign. Mm. Beloved friend, someone like that, in a sense of the warmth. The, you can't really label it as the body shape or the mannerism, it's just something about it gives you that quick hit of uh, warmth, delight, positive sign. Mm. And uh, so we, we're steered by these. Mm. Mm. But the theme is, <laughs> is you should get to the, uh, the reality beneath it before you plan before that occurs. You keep checking out, is this person reliable, steady? And, you know, and then you kind of sense it's not just giddy infatuation or blind devotion or knee-jerk aversion, somebody speech is stuttering and confused, doesn't mean they're stupid, just means their speech faculty is, you know, has difficulties, it can quite, you know, it doesn't mean they are stupid or not to be listened to, just they've got difficult speech habits. So you're trying to penetrate beneath those immediate impressions of something more valuable, because then you're really using, deepening your heart intelligently, and not just working on knee-jerk reactions, which unfortunately are very easy, <laughs> automatic, because they're automatic. So we tend to go for the easy. Mm. Mm. And this is, of course, when you look at the big scale, this is where all the uh, conflicts arise. You know, we have this conflict in Israel and Palestine, uh, two sets of people who both have their fears, anxieties, grievances, pains, sorrows. It's the other person's, the other one's fault, and they've got reason to say that. Basically, once that, then the response to that is, well, let's, let's kill each other then. That will sort it out. Sign of hatred, kill it. That, that, will, that will make it better. Uh, hasn't worked yet. And uh, what happens, you just sow deeper the bitterness, the hatred, the fear, the defensiveness gets another layer, cuts deeper and deeper and deeper. Think, now it's gone for generations. And future generations will carry that because we carry the sign gets passed down as we know mm. we will you know, I mean do you have to go into the details of histories what it takes to try to recuperate international uh, uh, hatred to something where reasonable coexistence can occur. Because in 1592 they did this. In 1849 they did that. You know, that's terrible. Yeah, it was. Horrible. Do we need to carry the sign? And then act upon it in that bitter, recriminating way. 
So we have to kind of lift from that because the unskillful sign that precipitates unskillful, compulsive, because it's easy. It seems just, we say it's justified. I have the, they have the right to kill the other people. They the, it's called defending yourself in the international relationship. You never have any war of aggression. It's always defending yourself. <laughs> we have the right to defend ourselves against them, which basically means killing them. <laughs> I don't think it makes much difference whether you're killed by an aggressor or a defender. You're still killed. Uh, you know, and you, perhaps by somebody you didn't know. And when it gets international thing, it's the women, the children who never did anything, and the civilians who never did anything, getting shot to pieces, embittered, grieving, hatred, resentment, fear, so on. And you think more, more killing will do it. We'll sort that out. Uh, so, for the sign B, we recognise that there's a lot of intense hatred, passion, fear, justifiable fear, justifiable pain. Absolutely, we need to lift from this. I know it's not easy, but if we don't, it's going to get worse. We need to see beings, beings with need for security, beings with need for ease, beings. And we don't need the ideologies, they're not going to do anything useful. Whether you call it justice or right, it really doesn't do the job of resolving anything. It pushes the can down the road for the next generation. So it goes on. People carry it. I remember a you know, long-standing <coughs> occasion as a thing. This began probably back in the early 1980s in Jidivega. We had a, a a man here who became a summonera. He was a bit of a wild card. I mean, you know, those days we were all wild cards, really. <laughs> Not a straight hand in the deck. But a few of us managed to kind of shape it up a bit. <laughs> and so he was kind of a fairly wild character. Could also have very agreeable and intelligent mannerisms. And, and it was, but then he became, they, they became a bhikkhu, something of a bhikkhu. And I think one of the other monks who was only about four or five vassals clearly didn't approve of this fellow because he was, he was really doing some pretty outrageous stuff. I mean, in, yeah, you know, let's not go into it, but, you know, certainly not um, beautiful conduct. So this uh, junior bhikkhu, he carried this resentment. And for over 20 years, he went off to Thailand, and for over, over 20 years, he write 
his letters of hatred to this monk, determining physical violence in with, a, with obscene language for 12 or 20 years, would write these letters. You know, I'd, they'd, I'd get, they'd get passed on to me, and I'd go, God, it's difficult to read them. So I kind of just stored away, and got a whole, I got a whole file of these letters, which I thought, you know, just in case it's ever needed. Threatening physical violence. Over 20 years. So, like, what's happening? You know, every cell in their bodies had changed by that time. <laughs> you know, if we go through that seven year thing, right, the body's changing their cells, you know, so we, they, the bodies have moved on. <laughs> the people's characters and of shifted and changed and so forth. Once the sign has remained embedded like a thorn in the heart around this, this festering poison that comes out. And, uh, and the craziness of it, this is supposed to be in the holy life where you know, the aim is to Acknowledge these and eradicate them or clear them out. But you can, so it's quite possible to miss to miss it altogether. Because maybe you know, I I can do various things. I can get some samadhi. I can do this that, and the other. People do respect me. I, I can give talks. Uh, da, da 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 da. You know, part of you can carry on without getting into that piece, you just kind of push it off, you know, this bypassing. Eventually this uh, abusive monk got, um, he was declared persona non grata by Wat Pong for his harsh, disrespectful, gross behaviour and uh, subsequently got thrown out of Sangha through, you know, parajika offences, defeat offences. You know? So, you know, very disturbing, because like I think, what one person can do is a potential in all of us, including me. I haven't done that, but am I watchful? Am I looking out for where things start to fester or get stuck? Am I looking out for that and checking what's happening? The signs. You know, this is this is obviously gross and painful and uncomfortable things to talk about in some respects, but it's also, you know, they're not always intensely like that. We get much more moderate signs, oh, that's my home. That's my home. 
Well, it's a building. <laughs> so the sign of self gets placed on things. Ownership. To things actually, that's not true. The sign of permanence gets placed on things, on our bodies, on other people. She'll always be around, he'll always be around. You don't really believe it, and yet that kind of... On one level you don't, but on another level you act. We act as if that's the case. It's hard to take each other for granted, and another day, and it'll be, you know, and then gone. Oh, no. Shock, horror. So these are signs that are one has to handle with awareness and caution. The sign of permanence, the sign of selfhood, and the sign things should be utterly satisfying. Therefore, because they're not. Somebody sent me a gift recently and the, the, oh, the makers of this little gift had sent a card saying we guarantee your complete, utter and unrelenting satisfaction. <laughs> I got news for them. <laughs> unrelenting <laughs> satisfaction. Uh, <laughs> I'm not expecting it so I'm not going to be disappointed but <laughs> thank you. I, I appreciate the, the, what you're trying to say, you know, <laughs> but uh, I'll let you off. <laughs> mm. Can we be satisfactory perceptions to each other? <laughs> when we disappoint, dismay, confuse, can we lift off that? Say, okay, another being, a being, you know, energies, minds. It's moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, when do these things get shaped into a person, the sign of a person? Now these are the normal language we use and it, it's, uh, it's helpful. But, uh, you know, one wants to also say, okay, that's fine, but let's look into the reality of that and so I'm not getting the emotional compulsive bond to that sign. This too will change, this is passing, this is indeterminate actually. It's neither attractive nor unattractive, it's just... It sounds kind of bleak, but actually it's just very allowing. You know, if you want things to be attractive all the time, you're in for a tough, tough ride. Yeah. It doesn't mean they're not, it doesn't mean they're necessarily horrible, it just yeah. then it's a freeze up, doesn't it? Freeze up the way I can be with that, relate to it, I'm not planting something onto it. Including other people of course. 
Therefore, you know, the response can be, well, whatever, I know sign of be another being. That's reasonable. <laughs> and warm heartedness. Another being. Mm. Understanding what beings are like, with their ups and downs and something more wise and sympathetic can occur than just getting stuck on the the sign. Basically, I feel if I can't act in at least an equanimous (laughs) response to to beings, I've really got to look at what's happening, what I'm firming up, what I'm creating. Mm. I may not exactly be, you know, fully, you know, encouraged by that, but okay, it works for you, good. And uh, the Buddha said, when you cultivate that, when that becomes apparent, then you have the capacity to to teach. Otherwise you're getting, no, no, they don't understand. Oh no, they don't follow what I'm saying. Oh, idiots wasting my time. Or oh great, I'm loved. They're fantastic. Everything's everything's a winner. Fantastic. <laughs> Just speak the truth. Speak what you know. Only speak what you know with understanding and with kindness. At the right time, when asked to do so, it's enough. Now the people can judge themselves. So it's where you protect, you guard yourself. Mm. Otherwise, you know, particularly when we've invested a lot in people and they have difficulties with us or gossip about us, we feel very betrayed, shocked, knocked around. And this thing happens. So the ways when you're experiencing that, you know, any of that dissonance, it's really helpful. Go visit. Just lift off the topic. Just hang out. Be with. Establish different, different occasions with each other. So we don't have to go into that topic. Where there's a lot of heat or dissonance, yes. You know, we all rejoice in virtue, we all rejoice in no, let's let's be with that, and then we've established that, and maybe we can then unpick what the disagreement was about, or we can learn from from each other. And this is the harmonious way to deal with differences which are inevitable. You know, conflict. Is, in, is to some degree, even it's subtle, is inevitable, but the resolution of it is always possible. Once you return, drop the signs, go to the, your own heart, what skillful empathy with another. Something's going to work out. And then you think, okay, then that's enough, that's good enough. Not expecting things to be. To be according to my perceptions, but I'd like to live with harmony, understanding, no nothing under the carpet, 
nothing in the cupboard stored up. Mm. Yeah. Don't quite agree with you. Good luck, you know, <laughs> whatever. And there's room for that without bitterness. And you should bear this in mind in training, in cultivating, and in fact in all relationships with others. You know, this group, this doesn't really hit, doesn't really ring my chimes. Okay, may they be well. Mm-hmm. What I'm looking for. So the Buddha was very clear on this. Uh, in his own passing, he said, uh, you know, Dhamma Vini is a teacher. I've presented that and going to pass away. Ananda, his beloved attendant, who obviously served the Buddha for decades with integrity and generosity and so forth, was very upset by that. The Buddha's dying, you know, he's dying. The Buddha said, don't do not. One of the most touching passages in the canon where Buddha's kind of holding on to a doorpost to hold himself up, and Nanda's holding on to a doorpost to hold himself up, he's so shattered, he's weeping. And the Buddha says, do not weep, do not wail. For a long time you've served with devotion and integrity and effort. For a long time you've done this. This is vast, beautiful things you've done, Nanda. Now, just clear your heart. It cannot be that that has been born does not pass, it has to be, that which is born has passed, comes to pass. Just work to purify your heart, the last remains of clinging. And it's very touching, you know, the obviously sympathise, but you know, giving that very sympathetic response and then, you know, just steadying, and this is the way it is, and holding it for him. And instead, when the Buddha himself passed, the Arahants were not grieving. Uh, Because, okay, the Buddha has passed, uh, that which we relied upon, the teacher, the teachings, that which we relied upon has passed, but the the sign of the teaching, the purity, the awakening remains. And this body has done what it does. The sign remains. Nothing has really changed. Radically, (laughs) conditions do what they do. And same with um, you know, the Buddha when he saw his two chief disciples had passed away. There's obviously some shock there, recognizing the loss to the to the assembly. But he says, no, no, no grief, no, didn't happen. He goes, uh, what passed? Bodies passed, perceptions changed. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the way they always they always doing that? And you carry the sign, a skillful sign. And so that the unskillful, the unhelpful, painful signs can be understood. The basis, when you get right down to it, clinging. 
Well, not, not a decision, just an instinctive reflex to hold something as mine, permanent. Um, and innately satisfactory. And following that, we but in search of that, as you probably recognize, that which should be permanent, satisfactory, self, mine, and there's a lot of movement has to go on to sustain that. <laughs> what the world in general is doing, is run, people running around trying to sustain the sign of permanent well-being. And doing kinds of things to sustain the sign of being permanently in control. Trying to sustain a sign of owning something. A lot of effort and energy has to go into that, otherwise it starts to... And then we feel shattered. It wasn't mine. That's gone. I've lost it. He wasn't mine. That's gone. I've lost it. Oh, no, no. The grief. It's not about eradicating anything that's actually there, it's about removing an influence that causes immense suffering, distress and unwholesomeness to occur. Because based upon that sign triggers volition. Mm. So we lift, and how does that this is what is, is possible. Yeah. And this goes on, you know, you can, I mean, I remember a while back, this, uh, Mark always seemed to have problems with me. You know, he always seemed to misinterpret or, and he t- said all kinds of things about me, about my back. Uh, I remember that when he was a, a lay person, he'd been on a retreat with me, with this, uh, this meditation retreat, and you know, the signs, no talking, da 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 da. And um, so he has this other woman on the retreat who he takes a liking to, and obviously she takes a liking to him, so they start leaving little messages in each other, in each other's shoes, you know. <laughs> it's a meditation retreat. And I'm giving this stuff about the ending of the world and so forth, <laughs> the other way you do. <laughs> this kind of high minded stuff. You're not doing it, you know, what's it? So, I think it's at Amrawati, so they, you know, they ended up getting together, walking around the field together in the tea breaks and stuff. And eventually they decided, we, we know we're going we're gonna to fall. So, it's about day six or something, they come on and say, Oh, we're going to take leave of the retreat because we want to be together, you know, day six, seven or whatever it was. And I said, Mm hmm. Okay, well, so I just said, oh, well, this is where the world begins. You know, I've been talking about the retreat doing about the ending of the world, and well, this is where the world begins. And, and, and it's kind of a bit, okay, so nothing much more than that, but okay, fine, that's what you decided to do. That's the way it goes. So then uh, later on, when I, I think this person came to see me, and they said, uh, and I said, oh, we're, get, we're getting we're getting married. So I said, oh, we're getting spliced, are you? Which means joined together. It's kind of colloquial thing. And uh, it turned out what he heard 
when I said that was, oh, pigs could fly. In other words, that's a total non-starter, useless point, point of view. That's what he heard. I mean, my accent is an accent. My speech could be slurred. But he heard that because he already had established a sign of, I disapprove of what they're doing. I disapprove of him. So he actually heard something I didn't say. You know, that's what memory is. You don't remember the thing. You remember what you take of it. And that's coloured by the sign. And every time you go to that memory with that sign in mind, it reshapes it, reshapes it, reshapes it. Every time you go to that memory with that bitterness in mind, the bitterness shapes the memory to fit the bitterness. When you think of it, how do you remember anything? Well, it just happens, doesn't it? Well, if your memory isn't that good, what are you first of all you get to oh yeah, that guy, he was he's really pleasant, warm-hearted, yeah, good guy, what was his name? I can't remember. What did he look like? Oh, sort of, can't remember that either. <laughs> you know, a sort of hair on top, feet and stuff. And warm-hearted, got a good chuckle. You remember signs, don't you? That's the first thing that comes. Then you begin to etch in the details around it. You remember the sign. I was warm-hearted. Or it always seemed very nervous. One particular feature leads the rest of the memory. And then the memory starts to form around that sign. And you can see in cases of deeply held bitterness how that sign forms other people to the point in which you can act with total violence towards people you've never even seen. Because they carry the sign. And every time you go there, the irrational, completely contradictory idea comes <laughs> that they're to blame. Well, they weren't there. Doesn't matter. So you watch out for these phenomena. I mean, the reference in the um, Satipatthana Sangyutta, which seems, in my opinion, to be the source of how the longer suttas were compiled in the middle length and long discourses. And you see there's quite a distinction between the middle length version and the long version. They've added a huge watch more material in the long version. So clearly when these, these things are formulated and they weren't, didn't mind adding more details if it seemed to fit. And it seems what has happened in this process of formulating these, these discourses. 
And there are certain awkward bits about that. But one of it is the whole section on Dhamma. Dhamma is the fourth foundation, Satipatthana. In the Sangyutta, it's just said Dhamma's phenomena. That's it. And the other ones, they elaborate all the hindrances, bad phenomena, enlightenment factors, skillful phenomena. And they're all that. It's true, not, not false. Um, but, but I think some of the, the core theme of the Sangyuta collection is notice how they dissolve. Mm. Whether they're good or bad, how they are tungable. So it says, with the rising of attention, attention crystallizes around something. Mm. Dhamma's phenomena start to gather around that. With the ceasing or subsiding of that action, remember, attention is an action of focusing, when we soften the focus, the crystallized dhammas begin to atungamo. And atungamo is related to sunset. It's a term that's used to describe the setting of the sun. It means that not that it's, it's kind of gone to the non-manifest. Mm. So it's different. There's a cessation of attention, the non-manifestation. Empty. Mm. Not defined, not formulated. In fact, something that had been crystalline into distinct crystalline patterns released into something that's unformed. Like, you know, dissolving crystal was ice in water. That which was definitely shaped just becomes open fluid. Could be anything. And that's a, you know, doesn't mean anything's really annihilated, but the shaping has released. Mm. Notice, you know, when we get something in our minds where our attention gathers around it. Oh. Contact, feeling, perception, that's that. Not good. Mm. And then that becomes quite solid and you can remember it. What I remember at Jidvega is a lousy tea. <laughs> the forest is gone. You know, I remember the terrible tea or something like that, you know. Whatever your pet problem is. I remember about this bhikkhu is not his integrity is but the way he chanted. Could be that, you know, when you get something that sticks and it crystallizes, so that's what you carry. The rest of it disappears. That's the problem of attention. Doesn't mean don't be vigilant, heedful. It means be careful how your attention is forming and crystallizing things. Uh, and you know, in this uh, little teaching, you know, so Buddha said, with the arising of uh, Namarupa, the arising of Chitta, with the cessation of Namarupa is the Atangamo, the disappearance, the non-manifestation of chitta. So, not to get too technical, but the whole nama process is this very act of signifying, designating. It's 
something, as being something. Something is designated. You know? So we look around the hall, what was a tree has become a pillar. Does the wood know that? I don't think so. What was sand has become paving slabs. Sand didn't know about that. It's got, you know, we designate it as such and shape it to fit that. You look in the forest, you can look at those trees and think, there's good timber there. You can actually start to designate them as timber. Or you can look at it thinking, oh, it looks like it's got canker. If you're a horticulturalist or an arbor or you know, a tree specialist, or you can say, wow, wonderful tree to sit under, to meditate. Different designations, aren't they? What does the tree know? Do we ever ask the tree? <laughs> okay, take that off the agenda. What about people? How do we designate them? Useful guy, could be a good da-da-da-da-da, you know, designate him as a cook or a something or the other, shape him up as that, you know. The rest of it, doesn't matter. So this, this Nama, the Buddha says, Nama controls the world. The way those designations get taken to be the actuality, and that's the, that then volition occurs that keeps cementing that person or, or that into, a, into a actuality and then we keep acting upon it and it becomes engraved. You know, like all Jews are, you know, anti-Semitism, all Jews are, all, you know, what, whatever the one you discriminate against is. I had a case recently of a friend of mine, his, his partner, she spent 10 years fighting against gender discrimination in pay in the university, where very obviously, very distinctly, all the, all the women who were teachers never got promoted. The men who were got promoted. It's like clear as daylight, just because they've been designated, you know. So we, then the jitta gets activated around that designation. Jitta produces volition. So it's, it's, it's fired up, it's activated. Now if that designation is released, it's just, who knows, being, and even more than just perceptions arising and passing, jitta doesn't get activated. And what feature does the jitta have then? Hot, cold, just open. Open, undesignated. Mm-hmm. Buddha says you can't you can't get any designations to describe that. It's out. When it, when it's out, all you can say is where's it gone. You can't say, just undesignated. You know, where did the ice go? Uh, when the when the heat turned up, where did it go? It didn't go anywhere. Well, I don't see it. Where did it go? Well, it, it sort of <laughs> you know. Water's wet and sloshy, moves around, ice is hard, they're not the same. Um, 
And it becomes steam. Vapor. Where did it go? What happened to the ice? The designation was incorrect or partial. So when that when they are when it's not designated, is that you know, we're looking at our stuff in our chitta. Dhammas arising, passing, noticing where the jarring, crystallization, the fascination, the pains all occur. What's going on there? Penetrating. This is the disappointment. This is the attraction. This is a sense of gain. This is a sense of loss. Just looking into that carefully and sympathetically. You can be beyond this. Don't let this phase you. This can be, you can be beyond this. There's no way in that world that you can ever feel safe. In the world of gain and loss. It's impossible. It's never succeeded for anybody. In the world of arriving and ceasing, you're never going to find a stable place. But in the knowing of that, and the firming, and the clarity, and the unwavering, there's a release from that. And then this is our, what the Buddha is trying to encourage. Uh, and it's up to us to look carefully, look clearly, look deeply, develop the skills to at least cultivate the skillful signs, uh, put aside the unskillful signs, cultivate the skillful signs, penetrate the base of clinging and realize what the Buddha is trying to offer us as a path to deliverance.